Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, one of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for Real People, Real Topics, Real Talk. Let's face it. Thanks for tuning in. It's December the 6th, 2015. You're um, listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We're your host on Will Strayhorn. And Alicia Brown. How are you? How are you doing? I am wonderful. I, I am wonderful. You sound good. Yeah, I you feel better. Good? I feel you better. Do. You know, allergies, sinuses, I cold know. weather, none of the mix. But we're in Virginia, so such is life. I know, How right? are you? Um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm still dealing with my sinuses. It's just a way of life right now. And my doctor said I need to get used to it with the weather being Isn't unstable right? as it is. <clears throat> yeah, but um, been a very busy week, even busier weekend. It didn't really kick off for being busy for me until Friday. Friday got here and it was like, bam, it took off. So I've been really swamped. I know um, the whole team has been chatting a lot. Every now and then I'll be busy and I'll peep in and see you guys chatting, but haven't had time to really participate this weekend. But how was yeah. your week? Wonderful. It was truly wonderful. It, it was full, like you said, busy, busy, busy. Um, mm-hmm. Just amazing. I'll just say amazing. Um, That's good. You know, some great people, met some great people, continue to meet some great great people, and just to see God moving, I mean, just takes my breath away. I know, right? Of course, of course we've had some tragedies this week, but, um, you know, we, we press forward. And, of course, for you, I should be asking, how was your week? Because you know, Mr. I-have-no-more-classes. Oh, yeah. Well, school is finally out. Friday was my absolute last day of school. Um, now we're going into exams. I think my I took my first exam. It was due Saturday. And my next exam is tomorrow morning, and then I think I have one on Friday. And then I will okay. be absolutely through. Cannot wait. Um <laughs> Already registered for next semester. And, yeah, right? Trying to get ready, trying to get into the holiday spirit. Have not put my decorations up, which is is really um, strange for me because I normally start directly after Thanksgiving. But um, hopefully I'll get that stuff done tomorrow um, so that I can start preparing for our little Christmas get-together on the 19th. Oh. Looking forward to that. See, I don't need your decorations. I need the other accoutrements. But we have some other great people who um, oh, I'm yeah, sure yeah. they have some some fabulous things to do. I know a couple of them. I'm, I just can't wait to hear what they uh-huh. did. I know. Right. So um, how are I you guys doing? Liz, though. I got to pick on Liz because, you know, she always on that same brainwave thing with you. With me, right. One, right. And then she's the one that came up with our wonderful show this week. So I want to know how Liz's weekend was. You know, nothing changed. <laughs> My weekend was very basic <laughs> once again. See? So here y'all two go. <laughs> <laughs> It'll pick up 
the beginning of next year. No worries. She'll have some fun stories. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm scared for both of y'all. Okay, then. And, of course, I think tonight we have with us Nate Whitfield and Nate J, who we're going to refer uh, exactly to. Exactly right. Nate 1 and Nate 2. The they both sound the same, so, you know. It's like, let me see if I can detect the voice. Whoever speaks first, how was their weekend? Let me see if I if I can figure out which one it is. So just speak. Oh, hey, well, hey, hey. Jay, <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you. How you doing, Jay? That money. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on? That's what we can find you? out from you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, can, can y'all, am I loud and clear? Can y'all hear me? Am I, yes, am, we am can I hear you. Is it on? Is it on? Is it on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't with him. I can't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, you know what? So my weekend, um, mm, I actually, um, mm, you know, like I said, I live a peaceful life. You always know that. Um, but I, I did some, um, I went to go check out some musical friends of mine. They had some gigs mm. at different venues on Friday. I checked out my friend I went to college with, and he plays sax, and he's a beast, man. He's a beast, and mm. had a good time. And then Saturday I went to Durham and checked out my other homegirl, Rhonda Thomas. If you ever heard of her, you need to go check her out. She has an album, several albums on iTunes. Um, she okay. used to sing in beast as well. And then to get today I went to um, my university. I went to one some state, so we had our – our holiday concert, our university choir had their concert, their holiday concert today, and I saw some old Ram friends, and we mixed and mingled and talked and chatted up and hugged and, you know, go stay okay. all that good stuff. Okay. Oh. What are the Rams? What is that? The Rams. That's our logo. That's who we are, the Rams. Like, you, fired, you know, Will. the Rams. I mean, you really? Fired. Really? <laughs> fired. Is that, is that how you going to do my universe? I will. I, you know what? Time out. In the corner. Hey, honey, I ain't know. I was just trying to keep it real. I ain't know. I said Ram from up here, Aries. Okay. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes. Mr. Whitfield, Nate, how, how are you been? doing tonight? Uh, today has, I mean, my weekend was really great. It was a busy weekend uh, as far as work goes, but... I'm trying to wind down so that I can get ready for next week of finals and also my junior recital approval. So I'm, oh. I'm borderline mm-hmm. stressed out, but I'm keeping calm. So I'm good. Are you sound calm? Okay. He does. Yeah. You don't have stuff. Well, tell me how you do that. How, how you, it's how a little you too, do that? It's too well, calm. it's, it's too called calm. cranberry juice and vodka. Oh, you know what? oh, gotcha. Won't he do it? Gotcha. Won't he do it? Just yes. the way you do that, it will really give you an adjustment to your spirit. Such an alcoholic. <laughs> he didn't say how You're many only an alcoholic had. when you admit it. Just want to, let me interject a little bit, Nate. I don't know if you got my message, but um, our church just won Church of the Year um, from the excellent wow. awards that are going on tonight. That is so amazing. Yeah. Because it was so funny because Pastor, I just did our first lady's hair and makeup for the event, and yeah. our I was Pastor supposed to just, makeup. he knew he was not going to win. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Did like, he think the other church was going to win? No, he just thought he wasn't going to win. Oh, uh, okay. You know what? Okay. Y'all are horrible. Well, well hey. 
we talked about relaxation, and Will, you were mm-hmm. talking about you did not do your decorations yet for the holidays. Have not. Since the holidays, we we just passed Thanksgiving and Christmas is almost here. Mm-hmm. What is uh, the least uh, and the most favorite thing you like about the holiday season? Oh my God. Hmm. I like Christmas about music. This. That's about the best part. <clears throat> and least, I don't know. I'm not really in the holiday season. I mean, the holiday spirit this season. Me either. Why are you not in it? Me too. I don't know. know. Like, Christmas is, what, two weeks away, and I'm just like, I'm ready for this to be over. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's really bad. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Jay? Well. Pleasant ball of sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah, you know what? You're trying to get back on my good side. It's okay. It's working. Um, well, you know, um, my favorite thing about the holiday is the music. I mean, I, I love the music. I'm a mm. music person anyway. I love the music and I love the decorations and I love to, to see the children excited and all happy about it. The least thing about it is the fact is that my family is not really, you know, they're not really a family. I don't know what they call them. They're kind of dysfunctional. So it's not really, you know, it doesn't really feel like, you know, that joyous holiday season that everyone has with family. So it's just kind of like blah. So it's just me and the dog. So, you know, hmm. I, I really do sing that song, What Does the Lonely Do for Christmas? Yeah. So I sing He's going to make me cry. That's all right. Just don't do it. Don't do it. I know. Just spare me. Spare myself. It's okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'll well, get through it. Okay. I'm going to say what I like the least about the holidays. Um, I guess for me it's like the busyness because, you know, it's like just simple areas. Like everybody has taken over everything. So you could be going to a simple store just doing like grocery shopping or you just need to pick up like a few items. And there are like 5,000 people in the store and there's like, you know, sometimes it's just like mass pandemonium, like, I got to get, da, 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 da. and it's just like this frantic spirit during the holidays. And I think it's just crazy. I mean, even in just like the driving, the attitudes, it's like some people are just like on 1,000. And I'm like, it, it, you know, if anything is stressing you out that much, you just need to stop. <laughs> but what I like the most about the holidays is regardless of how you observe it, how you celebrate it, you know, if you celebrate it, um, is that one time of the year where at some point everybody stops. And, well, they do. you know, they they do. Everybody stops. If it's nothing more than they're off of work for that day or they're just going to stop to have a meal somewhere, everybody just stops. And I think that it's just so needed. I mean, we get so busy in everything that we're doing that sometimes, you know, we forget that stop. So I like that stopping point. I like that focal point that comes, you know, during different holiday seasons. But I can't say, even though I'm a music lover, I, I, I'm not a Christmas music fan. Really? What? Oh, we lost. No. We lost cool points with me. You know why wait. though? Because people are playing Christmas music sometimes, like at Halloween. In July. Well, yeah. well, well, Halloween is a demonic season, so I, I don't right. really support that. That so I prefer to hear Christmas music. It's fine. It kills that Christmas. demon spirit. Excuse me? Lord, have mercy. 
No, I feel you on that one, Jay. It's up in the music piece. I, I do not like Halloween. People know me. Know around Halloween, I just shut down. Um, I, I don't want to hear nothing about no costumes, no candy, nothing. Well, you know some people wear Halloween masks all year round. You know, you know what you're dealing with. You know what? You 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 know what? I'm just saying. (laughs) Sometimes that is a good thing. That's a good thing. Father, (laughs) but Jay, you were saying something interesting that you saw on Facebook, and I had some feelings about that. (laughs) Yeah. So there was this Facebook post um, showing a woman's mugshot. You know, her 13-year-old daughter had swung at her, and she beat her down. Um, so, I mean, I guess the question is, does she deserve jail time? I mean, you know, we read about these cops always dragging our children in the classroom, and they're just, you know, dehumanizing us. But as soon as you, you know, beat your child or you chastise them in public, you know, physically, they're ready to put a, you know, a felony on you and throw you in jail. So, I mean, you know, should parents be... Should parents be faced with, with, with charges for disciplining your children? I mean, what are we coming to now? It depends mm. on the discipline. Yeah. Yes, God. Where? I say the extent of it. What can, what can you rectify that? Rectify that. Clear that up for me. What is? I mean, what is too much? Uh-oh. I mean, if she gave her a whooping, she deserved it. I mean, I wish I would have swung on my mom at 13. Come on now. But, I mean, if you beating her up like she wanted to go home, you know, somebody who owe you money in the streets, then no, that's right. definitely unacceptable. I saw the video. These kids nowadays are crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure her mama had to do what she had to do. As Will would say, hold me back. Hold me back. Yeah. You know, I swung pretty hard. See, I didn't see the video. I did not see the video. I saw oh, wow. the video. I saw the video, and she was she's been eating her Wheaties. Trust me, that thirteen year old oh. was swinging. <laughs> well, oh, the thirteen like, really? year old was swinging real hard. She swung first. That's what made the mama, you know, go off. I mean, be real. If your daughter, your daughter's thirteen years old, you're chastising her or whatever, and then she just goes off and swings at you. What you gonna do? Your natural reaction is what? <laughs> Mortal Kombat mode. <laughs> But, you know, I think that's the problem with the whole thing. It's really hard. You know, people say that's the the issue um, in the legal system when it comes to pornography. You know what it is when you see it, but it's hard for you to define it in a legal term. So I feel like it's the same thing when we talk about, you know, parents and and Mm -hmm. how much Mm -hmm. is too much. No, no. I I, I know what pornography is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do, too. They know what they I said hard to define it in a legal term. I didn't say. No, it's not hard to define de- I mean, it's hard, well, but it's, it's not hard it's to legal. define it. Well, it is hard to define it in certain parts of it. Yes, it is. Which part are you watching? I know, right? Too. Um, what happened? It's porn. You know what? Oh, well, you know. I want to leave that alone. Y'all reckless. It's, interta- it's entertainment. <laughs> I'm done with y'all. <laughs> But, you know, it's really hard to say how much is too much. I mean, there's some obvious examples, but we all would agree. It's just too much for you to beat somebody down like that, regardless of what happened. But in other ways, it's like, you know, just because someone disciplines their child, they should be locked up. So, I, you know, it's one of them things. But, you know.
know, there are some parents that feel like you should never lay a hand on your child in any shape, how doesn't matter how light it is, you should talk to mm-hmm. them, time out, whatever. So, you know, it's kind of hard to say yes or no. I, I think it's really a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. But and some the of only, these people the are crazy. Situ- <clears throat> the only situation I have, the only issue that I have with the video is we don't really know what the relationship is with this mother and daughter. You don't know really what has right. gone on in our home prior to this video. And I have seen parents provoke their children. And, you know, mm, that's true so, too. sometimes when, when you provoke your children to do things, I mean, you would be expected at 13. You know, they are raging hormones. They're angry. You, you're telling them no. You know, I mean, who knows? It's, just, it's really got to be a case-by-case basis. Yeah. I don't want right. no children. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have the dog, Jay. It's okay. That's why you got the dog. Oh, and trust and, and if you see the and if you see the episodes that we have in this house, you would probably want to call oh. the cops on me too. Oh fuck! Wow. Wait a minute. We don't want well, no Peter here, well, okay? Well, she tried to bite me a few times, so I just try to bite her back. Oh, oh god! Oh fuck! <laughs> you know, for he moving on. Yes, moving on. Yes, Lord. Oh, we have a lovely relationship. <laughs> oh my! Well. You know, this past Tuesday was World AIDS Day, and um, yes. quite a few thoughts on that. Last last year, about this time, we had um, on the show special guest um, Malcolm M. J. Harris, who's the young man who, um, during Oprah's last year, she did that Life You Want tour. She went all around. Um, he's a young gentleman that went on stage with her and um, admitted that he was HIV positive. And he came mm-hmm. on the show to talk about that last year, um, and I was talking to a friend of mine over the weekend, and he was telling me about a friend that he had who um, had met some guy through, I think it was some type of a, a hookup app or something like that, and um, basically had unprotected sex with the person. Um, and I think on a separate occasion, he contacted the person back to want seconds, basically, to want to you know hook up with the person again, and the person told him no, and sent him this poem that's circulating around the Internet. Um, and I just want to say it's kind of lengthy and it's kind of graphic, um, so I want to excuse okay. some of the language in it, but I want to read it to you. Um, yeah. And then we're going to talk about it because, um, number one, it's, it's definitely a crime that he did it. But um, the words, they really resonated with me. I want to, We're going to talk about it afterwards. <clears throat> but excuse my voice, too. So it says, I sat on the side of the bed after you just gave me your body. It was okay. Will I call you again? Probably not. You seriously don't understand what just happened. I gave you my pain, my hurt, and all the unidentified one-night stands I did without a second thought. My toxic blood came in last place to the curve of my dick and this beautiful smile. I entered you unprotected, pushed in raw, no barrier, no questions, no concerns. You accepted my body, my semen, as you moaned my name. You didn't care, so why should I? I'm not your man. I'm not your guy. And as I lay spent, breathing hard, sweating heavy, I wonder, will you hate me the way I hate them? I kissed you lightly, welcoming you into a regimen of daily pills and endless prayers. No need to thank me. We both grown, consenting adults. Let me open a closed door for your future questions. No, I don't love you. I won't answer your phone calls. Your texts will go unanswered, and you are blocked on all my social media. Oh, and by the time shit kick in, 
I'll be one of the many. I'll be one of the many to choose from, and shame you. And shame will keep you silent. Then you become a monster like me. Ooh, father! Deep. Wow! Extremely deep. Mm-hmm. First time I read it, it like sent chills through me. Wow! Ooh. You know what mine keeps resonating with me? What? Or I think the one that just does it for me. What is this one? Um. You didn't care, so why should I? Mm-hmm. I'm not your man. You're not my guy. Right. That's the line to me that just, that that's the kicker. Mm-hmm. That's the kicker because it really shows you, you know, people say anything to get what mm-hmm. they want, but there are some of those people that just, they do not care. And, you know, not just so much they don't care about you, um, you know, love interests or, or your feelings or whatever. No, they just don't even care about your life. Right. So it's Not like it's cool. Well, and you know what really, really got me with this is um, in talking to my friend, and I didn't speak with his friend, but he told me about the conversation that they were having. And the person who did this to that guy, somebody mm-hmm. did it to him. So it's right. a cycle. It's a, it's a repetitive cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And that you can read that. He's afraid himself. He's afraid. He's hurt. He's disappointed. He made the same bad decision that this right. this person made. Um, so it's like an endless, continuous cycle, and that's what just kind of like it. It is. It's. It's just. It's. A, it's. It's like a cautionary tale. You know, hurt mm-hmm. people. Hurt people. And exactly. at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, on, on just to speak on my side of things, you know. When you when when you go out on these apps and you try to meet people that you're trying to or you trying to get to know maybe possibly date, the first thing you see on these on these profiles is body parts. So they're selling yeah. their bodies. So so that's when he says you didn't care. So neither did I. You were selling your body. You didn't even care what he had to offer. You just wanted the feeling. So now we have to ask the question. You didn't stop him to protect yourself. You allowed him mm-hmm. to do what he wanted to do. You didn't even stop and ask him any questions. So now you're just at fault as he is because you, you, mm-hmm. have, you have to be responsible for your own health. Mm-hmm. And there comes, a point where you have, you have to, there comes a point where you have to stop and say, listen, you know, if we're going to do this, we need to do this the right way. You know, we, I got into a heated discussion the other day about the same topic. You know, they, mm-hmm. they come up with this peel now where – you know, you can take this pill and, and it can build up in your body to the point where I guess it can kind of, your immune system can kind of block the, the HIV virus from affecting right. your body. And however, the, all these people are getting so excited about this pill, but yet they're discontinuing the use of condoms. But they don't realize that there's so many other STDs that you still can get besides mm. HIV. But they don't mm. think about that. They're just, they're just thinking about the fact that I don't have to use condoms. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's no, no condom. So, I, and I'm still going to be protected. It's going to be abused. But see, this is a prime example. We have got to start being responsible for our own sexual health. Come on, Jay. Okay. So true. Well, you know that was the same dilemma when people, um, everything about that abortion after the morning after pill, mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. people tried to use that as a form of birth control. So I can go out and have sex or whatever because they have this pill that I can take the morning after and, you know, not worry about it. Did you forget that there's other STDs that actually could kill you? 
I mean, the baby exactly. would be the least of your concern. So now it's the same thing with HIV. You know, yeah, there there may be those drugs that can delay death. And, you know, yeah, you have all type of examples of celebrities and everyday people who are on medications, and they look perfectly healthy. They're managing. But that's not the goal. You you want to be healthy, and you you want to avoid that. So exactly, Jay, you're right on that. Very deep. Very deep. Very, very, very. But, you know, like I was saying, um, this past Tuesday was World AIDS Day. You know, many people around the world took part in all the festivities. I was watching online different people posting things on the Internet, you know, from wearing red um, to just different, a whole bunch of the, the, the different things that they do to commemorate World AIDS Day. But here's some of the statistics um, about HIV and AIDS. So the CDC which is the Center of Disease Control, estimates that, um, what is that, 1,218,400 people between the ages, um, they're over the age of 13, are living with an HIV infection. 12.8%, which is about 156,300, are unaware that they are unaffected, I mean that they are affected. And although African Americans are only 12% of the population, they account for 41% of mm. all of the new HIV infections, which is that's just outrageous. And yeah. overall, new HIV infections <clears throat> have fallen 35% since 2000. AIDS-related deaths um, have fallen 42% since 2004. Um, and that's really surprising because... Um, not to, not to lessen the severity of it, but HIV nowadays mm-hmm. is a controllable, treatable disease. So the fact that mm-hmm. people are still dying from it, um, that just lets me know that they, they know one they don't like. Jay was saying they they they're not taking their own care consider, into consideration because right. it can be treated pretty much like diabetes. Um, there's medication mm-hmm. you have to take medication for the rest of your life, but um, the fact that people are still getting infected from it and dying from it. Um, there really is no no um, need for that to be happening right now. But, Cause we you know, don't today we... Right. Hmm? What, what were you saying, Jay? Oh, no, I was just I was just adding it. It's just the reason because we just don't ask those questions. We we are so afraid of right. offending someone because they're new and we want, we, want, we want this love, but we're just afraid of just asking that question. Let's go get right. tested together. Right. Know, but they're just right. afraid. That if no one wants to break that ice. They just want the physical aspect so quickly, and then they think about it after the fact. Mm-hmm. And do you know what? I think the reason MJ, when I was talking to him, the reason that he wanted to go on over, because a lot of pe- people don't do that because of the stigma behind right. it. Right. Um, and the reason that he came forward, and a lot of the, uh, some other people who um, I'm still torn with is Charlie Sheen, because when he's, he's now saying that he wanted to remove the stigma, but, you know, he was really forced into doing it. Um, right. But a lot of people are coming forth now because they want to remove that stigma, which is why a lot of people um, conceal their status from people, um, the fear of rejection and things like that. doesn't make it right, but that's just the reason for doing it because of the stigma. But, you know, today we do have the pleasure of having a HIV services coordinator from the Virginia Department of Health who can shed some light on, you know, some of the issues surrounding the infections with HIV and AIDS. So if you will, just please help me welcome to the show Miss Logan Dickens, how are you? I'm good. How are you all? Doing very well. Doing very well. Thanks for coming on. No problem. So, Logan, can can you 
can you please tell me, you know, is is there a decline in the infections of HIV? Does it seem to be um, a decline right now? Yes and no. So yes and no. worldwide since 2000, uh-huh. new HIV infections have fallen by 35%, but that's on a global level. And worldwide, 2 million people have become newly infected with HIV in 2014, which is down from 3.1 million in 2000. So we have a million, about a million decline in new infections, um, but AIDS is still the number one cause of death in adolescents in Africa, and globally it's the number two cause of death in adolescents worldwide. Um, so mm-hmm. it's still definitely out there that infection is definitely still spreading. Um, and young MSN, which is men who have sex with men, is a big population of the numbers of HIV increasing and also with African Americans. You know, African Americans is the racial group most affected by HIV. Well, wow. Hi, Logan. My name is Nate Whitfield. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Can you tell our audience the difference between being HIV positive and being diagnosed with AIDS? Yes. Okay, so this is a common question that gets asked a lot. Um, But HIV is the virus that causes AIDS. So AIDS is a condition or syndrome that is caused from having the HIV virus. So being infected with HIV can lead to having AIDS, but you can have HIV and never have AIDS. Um, But if you have AIDS, obviously you've had HIV. And AIDS develops when HIV has caused serious damage to the immune system. So treatment, um, like antiretroviral medicines, that's the common medicine to treat HIV in AIDS. So if you take that medicine regularly and stay adherent, then you can prevent the HIV infection from turning into AIDS. Okay. But I wanted to ask you, I'm I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I just had a question as far as one of the things with Charlie Sheen's admission, they were saying Mm -hmm. that he was on some type of antiviral where pretty much the HIV um, status, you know, the virus was non-existent. Um, In your professional opinion, Mm -hmm. what implications does that have on this illness, and I want just for the awareness aspect because he used this as a defense for him sleeping with people while unprotected and knowing that he was HIV positive. What what right. sort of your input on that? Um, I definitely wouldn't <laughs> use Charlie Charlie Sheen as a reference. I feel like he's definitely kind of confusing a yes. lot of Americans with what he what he's saying. So him being on antiretroviral medications, it can lower the HIV virus in your system, especially, like, in your blood. It mm-hmm. can lower the amount of viral cells in your um, in your blood. So if you take that medicine regularly and it gets lowered in your blood, it's harder for you to transmit the disease to someone else. But you also still need to practice condom use and everything because while you can be virally suppressed, which is the low number of HIV in your 
virus in your body, mm-hmm. it can also still be really prevalent in your um, sexual, I'm trying to think of the proper word, in your um, secretion. So while it may be mm. low in your blood, it might still be prevalent in your, like, sexual discharge and things like that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Just wrap it up. All right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Logan, how are you? This is Nathaniel. I'm good. How are you? I have a question. So given that science and technology have come so far in 2015, you know, mm-hmm. we hear these rumors about the cure of HIV AIDS. Do you ever think that there will be a possible cure, or do you think there is one and they just don't want us to know? Um, There's so many theories surrounding that. Um, that is really kind of hard to get a grip. I definitely think it being 2015 and there being so many research technologies and funding and everything surrounding, um, you know, research and getting these um, diseases cured, I definitely think there's hope for a cure. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, as of now, there's still not a cure for HIV AIDS. But, if everyone practiced safe sex and everyone took their antiretroviral medications and were adherent, we could end AIDS, um, even without a cure, just if we end their transmission of AIDS to new people. So basically it would die off if everyone practiced safe sex and took their medication. So I definitely think a cure can be found, especially with the mm-hmm. National Institute of Health is focusing so much on cure and eradication of the disease. But Mm -hmm. I just think it still, you know, takes time. So true. Okay. Well, I think think given the fact that there are so many cases of HIV AIDS that I guess you can look at it from different points of view, I guess. I don't know how you feel about it, but I just feel like Mm -hmm. sometimes that the pharmaceuticals are, are really benefiting a lot from the fact that the medication is is doing so well that I feel like if they just come up with a cure, that's just going to end it all. You know, I could be be wrong for feeling that way, Mm -hmm. but I just feel like as as much of an epidemic that it is, you would think that a cure would have developed much quicker, but I feel like they're really making good money off of this, off the, off the medication. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, HIV AIDS medication, like treatment, is very, very expensive, like $2,300 for, like, a 30-hour, a 30-day prescription. So, I mean, I definitely understand that point of it. But at at the same time, there's only one viral disease that has ever been cured with medical treatment, and that's hepatitis C. All other Mm. viral diseases either kill you quickly, which is Ebola, get better on their own, the cold, remain dominant, in your body forever, herpes, or are preventable, mm. preventable with vaccination, which is measles. So, I mean, HIV, AIDS isn't uncommon from other viral diseases that don't have a cure either. So I think people are kind of quick to say, okay, well, you know, there there's a cure, but they're hiding, they're trying to keep the money. That's, that could very well be true, but there are also all these other viral diseases that also do not have a cure. And HIV hides out in the DNA 
of, you know, long-lived human cells. So I think the fact that HIV goes into the DNA makes it even more complicated to find a cure. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, she threw me off when she said herpes lays dormant. That's just a disgusting thought, even though it's true. Um, <laughs> okay, Um you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, the medicine is expensive. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, you know, several things that, that you're going to need if you are diagnosed as being HIV um, positive and then definitely if it goes into uh, AIDS. But you currently work in the ADAP department. Um, can you share with us what that stands for? And what does this particular department do for someone that's been diagnosed uh, with HIV or AIDS? Sure. Okay, so yes. Previously, when I first got into the field of HIV, I started off as an ADAP operations tech, which is the ADAP, and ADAP stands for the AIDS Drug Assistance Program. Um, So this program is a medication assistance program for people living with HIV AIDS. Um, And these um, programs are specific to the state. So me specifically, I worked at the Virginia ADAP program, And we provide access to life-saving medications for the treatment of HIV and related illnesses for low-income clients. Um, And we get this. um, We provide medications either directly to our clients or we help them with medication copayment. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with the um, evolution of ACA and Obamacare, many of our clients now have ACA plans. And, you know, the state, our ADAP program, Paid for our clients to have those ACA plans to get their medications for, you know, their HIV illnesses. Um, we also assist with um, medication copayments with for people who do have insurance. Mm-hmm. We'll help them with um, copayments for their medications, and then for people who have Medicare, we'll help them with their um, copayments for their medications. And this um, is all supported from federal Ryan White funds, which is distributed to each of the states and territories in the United States. So they're federal funds that are given to the states that help, you know, provide this medication access for people living with HIV and AIDS. Okay. And I want to ask you, because, you know, so often we just, um, unfortunately, we will minimize things until they actually happen to us. And Mm -hmm. you gave one example of how much uh, a typical medicine may cost for HIV. But could you just Mm -hmm. walk us through, okay, a person has went in, they've taken the test, they found out that they have HIV. What what is that life like as far as medications and treatments and expenses are concerned for some of the average everyday people that you come in contact with? Um. I mean, definitely, you know, you go in, you get tested. Um, when you get tested for HIV, it's, you legally it has to be reported to the CDC or, you know, reported to the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, most of the time when you get tested, they have counselors or people who are trained on site to kind of help you cope with that. Um, so you'll have a counselor there to kind of help you, you know, education on what exactly is going on, what exactly your diagnosis is, and help you refer to a provider or someone to kind of link you to care. Um, Because that's a big part of, you know, what we do now 
um, with the new national HIV AIDS strategy and everything, we're trying to make sure we get these people linked to care because the faster you get linked to care, that helps, you know, lower the transmission of the disease to other people. Um, But the beautiful thing about the United States is is that we do have these Ryan White funds that provide services to people living with HIV and AIDS. Um, So they can link you to resources. So you can get resource to ADAP so you can get your medications. Um, We have substance abuse programs, mental abuse programs, or mental health programs, I'm sorry. Um, We have emergency financial assistance. We have oral health care. We just have a lot of services that are available to help people living with HIV and AIDS to deal with Uh this disease so it doesn't have to, um, you know, it doesn't have to disproportionately affect their lives. Gotcha. So definitely prevention. Go, you know, if you think something's wrong or you're you're just curious, maybe um, you've had unprotected sex and you're not sure if you're HIV positive, you definitely need to go get treatment or, I'm sorry, not treatment, you actually need to go and get tested the sooner the better. Yes. Yes, 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 definitely. Um, if you think it, definitely go get tested. You know, don't even think twice about it, especially if you go to your local health department. You can get tested for free. And, you know, they'll test you for free. If you're negative, great. You don't have to worry about it. If you're positive, it's good that you know. You know, you need to know mm-hmm. your status so then you can be linked to the um, care that you need. You know, definitely get tested. I mean, it's huge to know because yeah. you know, with HIV, you can, get, you can get HIV and you not feel any different and you not know anything and then you get tested later and you find out you have AIDS, you know? Mm. So, I mean, it's definitely important to get tested as soon as possible and as soon as you have unprotected sex and you're concerned, definitely go get tested. All right. Logan, I have a question. This is Will again. So earlier I was saying the statistics that we have found. Are you seeing that it is a a disproportionate amount of African-Americans that come through your your center? Well, the thing about the state health department where I work, the Mm. Virginia Department of Health, um, Mm. the clients don't come to the central office itself. Um, Oh, okay. Most of the clients come through the local local health department. So we'll process their application, and we allocate all the funds for the services for the agencies that provide them, but we don't see the clients directly. But um, many last sex women, young black ones, big, huge portion of clients. So I and when you say young, you're talking about what, what, what age? Um, well, ADAP, you have to be at least 18. Oh, okay. But no, that that might not be true. Actually, that's not. Are you seeing them younger than that that come through? Yes, um, I've seen. Wow. You know, I, I was born in 1991, and I've had mm. applications for people who've been like 1995 before, and I was just wow. like, oh my gosh, like you know, this is this is young. It's sad, you know, mm. that these people are having to deal with this already. But, I mean, that's wow. the importance of education and, you know, sex education, especially sex education in schools, you know, everything, so that, you know, these children don't have to worry about taking these medications every day and all the 
side effects that come with it or how am I going to pay for my medications, you know, all these things like this that children shouldn't be worried about. Wow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Logan, this is Nathaniel. I have one more question for you. Okay. Could you explain? Could you explain to our listeners exactly what does it mean to be undetectable, and how does that really still affect the person and that is in a relationship um, that is actually, you know, I guess being sexually intimate with that person? Or is that person that is still undetectable still at risk? Yes, <laughs> definitely. Uh. Um, so again, it's kind of like what Charlie Sheen was attempting to say. Uh-huh. Is that, you know, he was virally suppressed. So, yeah, the virus itself is low. There's a low count of virus cells in his body because he's taking his medications. But, you know, it's still, you know, the disease can still be spread. You still need to practice condom use. Um, and there's also just like um, you guys brought up earlier, taking the pill to prevent HIV. That is PrEP. It's pre-exposure prophylaxis. So you can mm-hmm. take antiretroviral medications, and it can prevent you from getting HIV. So PrEP is, you know, definitely big and on the rise, and they're trying to increase sub, sub, <laughs> publicity. I cannot speak um, around PrEP, but it is major because, it, yeah, it can definitely lower your chances of getting PrEP. So if you have a partner who is HIV positive, it would be very smart to go to the doctor and talk about, okay, well, my partner's positive. I'm, I've heard of PrEP. You know, what can I do to get on PrEP so I can prevent myself from getting HIV? Well, how much does, does that PrEP have any? How much is PrEP? Yeah. Oh, PrEP is still expensive because it's an antiretroviral medication. So don't quote me. But I'd probably say maybe around forty thousand dollars, like a year, if you were to take. Woo! Yeah, I mean, you know what? Just HIV keep it wrapped up, okay? Are very, very expensive. Wow. Okay. I can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. But the good thing about that is they also have prep a part of the state health department. So if if you would like to be on prep or anything like that, you can also get those medications through ADAP. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, Logan, we definitely want to thank you for coming on and sharing this information with us today. Yes. Um, can you give the viewers how can our viewers get assistance with getting treatments, or if they just want to find that find out information, where can they go? Um, the first place I would start is definitely, again, the local health department. They have all the resources. You can get tested. They can link you to services, anything that you need. Like if you if you find out you're tested and you want ADAP, they'll do your application right then and there. Um, so oh, wow. the local health department is a big um, resource in the HIV age, information, treatment, prevention, everything. Wow. Well, thanks again for coming on, and hopefully yes, we'll thank you back on one of our shows again. Yeah. No problem. Thank you for having me. I definitely, definitely enjoyed it, and I'm glad you guys are talking about this topic. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know what, Jay? You know how you said, you know, it's just you and your dog. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a good idea. Just just get a dog, get a cat, rock in a rocking chair, sit in the corner, and don't be with nobody. Just go to church. And, Let's say, that's but you it. know, let me. It, it's real because I mean, I mean, just to, just to add that in, you know, I dated someone, you know, maybe for about six months, who told me he was positive, oh, and wow. you know, it re- it really opened my eyes to a whole new world, and you know, at that point. I asked questions. I wanted to know more. I demanded to go to the doctor with him. I wanted to know what medications he was on. How does he need to take this medication? How do I need to protect myself? And yeah. it, it, it got scary. It got scary, but it also it gave me the courage to say, okay, this is this is a real deal, and I need to really, really apply myself to this disease more. Because it's, I mean, who would have ever imagined? I didn't know, and, and he was so nervous to tell me. But I mean, when he finally told me. I mean, his palms were sweaty. He was sweating. I mean, he was so mm-hmm. nervous to tell me, and I and I, I just think that there were so many people before me that he probably was afraid to tell. You right. Know? But I didn't judge. I think you still can be loved, and you can still give love. It's just all about knowing, and it's a fear that people have, and it's just once you break out of that fear, you know, it's just like having cancer or diabetes. You know, you can live a healthy life. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, guys, we're going to go ahead and go to a commercial break, but when we come back, we definitely have more conversation coming up. I am a mother. I am an entrepreneur. I am a singer. I am an artist. I'm a journalist. A businesswoman. An educator. A sister. A grandmother. An advocate. A leader. I am a friend. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am one of more than a million people living with HIV in the U.S. We are not alone. Let's stop HIV together. Get the facts. Get tested. Get involved. Go to www.actagainstaids.org for more information. What's up? This is Jaheem, and I'm down with Life Beat, and I just want to let all y'all know, man, y'all need to go out there and get tested to prevent the spread of HIV-AIDS. Remember, it's not a game, it's life. What's up? This is Alicia Keys for Life Beat, the music industry fights AIDS. Every hour of the day, two young people are infected with HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. Don't be one of them, for real. Protect yourself, all right? If you choose to have sex, you know, use a condom, all right? If you need to get tested, call your local AIDS service agency. For more information, call 1-800-342-AIDS or log on to www.lifebeat.org. I'm not just a conqueror. No, not just Hello, Let's Face the Family. This is Alicia Brown, the Joy Guru. It's been a while since we've talked. Well, of course, you listen to me every Sunday. But it's been a while since I've been able to chat and tell you what I'm up to. As of late, I've been so busy with Alicia Brown, LLC, and working with clients to help them write their stories, share their testimonies, and create platforms that will transform the world as well as their financial wealth. Now it's your turn. You do have a voice, and it deserves to be heard. And I know there's so many media events and news stories that enrage you, and you could talk for days about it. So join me at thejoyguru.net and find out how to write your story, share your wisdom, and increase your wealth. 
The only thing we're waiting on is you. And get started today because greatness awaits you. TheJoyGuru.net You're listening to Let's Face It, one of the hottest talk radio shows on the web. Are you looking for more exposure for your brand, product, event, or special story? Let's Face It Radio is the place for you. We're also seeking guest experts specializing in sex and relationships, health and wellness, politics, law, spirituality and religion, just to name a few. Looking for low-cost marketing opportunities? We'll look no further. We offer multiple advertising campaigns via website ads or audio commercial opportunities played live during the show. Visit www.letsfaceitradio.com and complete the appropriate contact form for more information. And welcome back to Let's Face It Radio. This is your co-host, Liz. Um, If you follow our Facebook page, you know we've posted a few controversial articles pertaining to tonight's subject matter. So I just want to ask our panel their thoughts on a few subjects before we start interviewing our other two guests tonight. So to my co-host, generational curses, do you believe they are real? And if so, can they be broken? Yeah, I believe they're real. This is real. They're, they're really, they're, they're, they're really real. Really, yeah. really. And I think you will classify them as generational curses, but they're just basically learned behaviors that are passed down throughout um, the generations. Absolutely. To me, yeah. Absolutely. That's that mm. church rhetoric. You know what, though? <laughs> I don't think all of them are um, church rhetoric. I mean, some of them I can definitely agree with you. They're learned behaviors. But some of them, I do believe there is a demonic force that is labeled across that lineage. And so someone spiritually breaks that. Um, For instance, like some people when it comes to, mm, I want to say like um, alcoholism or let's say cheating. You know, it just seems like all women... I don't know. They see their mom doing it. They see their dad doing it. It's acceptable. Some people well, even glorify it. have where that happens where yeah. the father isn't even in the home. So the one that's the avid cheater, the child never sees them. They may have never known that parent or really been around that parent um, to observe that behavior. But it just seems like each child comes out, you know, like let's say each male child comes out with that problem. Now, I can see with alcoholism how some would say, well, you know, genetically they might have a predisposition to that. You know, just like, you know, being diabetic or blood pressure, it's just in their lineage where, you know, they're more, you know, susceptible to getting that. But then when you look at behaviors and habits, you know, sometimes, like I said, you've never met that father or that father's not around you to see that, and you see all of the men of that family do it. Especially when you're talking about cheating and things like that, sometimes that could, the learned part can come from, I'm just like my daddy. Yeah, so, right. your mom's you know, your mom Now that does say, play a part, too. Oh, you just a cheater. Or, yeah, your daddy was a cheater, and then you start cheating because you feel, I'm just like my daddy. But so I don't, I don't feel like that. the daddy has to be there. Exactly. So that's where I feel it can be learned. Um, and 
But things such as um, um, what's the thing called molesting kids, you know, you molest because your daddy molested you, you're going to molest someone else. Not saying that, mm-hmm. that that's exactly how it happened, but mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, that's what happened. Yeah. You know, you you was molested by somebody, and you know we've seen stories about that. But I right. do believe it's just I don't think it's it's more of learned behavior because you mm-hmm. thought because somebody did that to you and nobody said anything, so I'm gonna do it to somebody else. Well, we might have well, our experts later share some insight on that, but okay. I am an expert. <laughs> I'm not sure if you knew that or not. <laughs> Oh, Nathaniel will feel negative. Anywho, <laughs> I love Nate. I can take with someone like that. <laughs> well, at least she knew my test status. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, yeah, we're going to move right along. <laughs> you guys are crazy. But I have one yeah. more question. So many say that many of today's problems started when we took prayer out of school. So, do you believe we should bring it back and that religion should be something that is added to the school's curriculum? I don't think religion should be added to the school's curriculum. But I do believe prayer changes things. And I do believe it can be a universal prayer um, that you can even utilize to get to your God, whoever he or she may be. But I do not believe we should teach kids religion. Yeah. There's a big difference. There's a big difference of religion and spirituality. Exactly. You know, I'm and I and late. I just think I just I just, I, just, I, just, I let me just add this, and I think when it comes to religion and prayer, period, I think that's something that should be grounded and rooted at home. Um, even if it's not in the school, it should be something that you send your children off with automatically yeah. before they even walk out the door. You exactly. know, you yeah. already pray over. You pray over your children. You pray over yourself. You're covered even when you get to the school. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even really matter. I mean, that that prayer is going to extend you wherever you may go. So whether or not you mm-hmm. take it out of the school all, all you want, I'm still covered. You know, I'm still going to be you covered. You better say it. And me, me and mine is going to be covered. I don't know about you. But Come me on, and mine Jay. is going to be covered because I'm going I'm to assure that. You're going to make me holler. You know, in my, I'll say in the beginning, of my walk with the Lord, when people would bring up that question, you know, I was right with every other church person. Oh, absolutely, we should bring it back in school. And you're right, you know, when they took things out, that was a shift. Now, I'm not saying that there was not a shift when prayer was removed from school. But what I am going to say is the America that we know as today, I don't think it should be put back into school, and this is why. Because now things are so politically correct that if we did incorporate prayer in the school, now we're going to go into this organized um, religion thing where, okay, well, we need this time for the Christian prayer, and then we're going to need this time for the this religious prayer or this faith prayer. And then for these that pray this way, we'll take this time. By the time they edit it in school in a way that they want it to be politically correct and fit mm-hmm. for every single religion, sect, um, denomination. Um, but it doesn't even have to be a prayer, though. It could just be a moment of silence where you can pray your own way. And you know what? That would be a problem. I, I agree. That would be a problem I, too. I mean, I, I guess it just all depends on the how what goes on in the home because everyone's, um, I guess, prayer is going to be different because everyone 
everyone's, even though we don't want to address religion, everyone's religion is different. So they're going mm-hmm. the way they go about do, the way they go about doing things is different because I re, I recall being in school and we're doing the Pledge of Allegiance and there were students who their parents told them you don't say that you you don't you, yeah. you just stand there and you re, you remain quiet I was one of those you do children. not you 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 do not salute that flag that that's flag right. has not done anything to you I mean you know and and that's what they were taught in the home you know but teachers would would say well that's being rude and that's disrespectful. And you know they will get in trouble for that. Then they're it is. And I mean, patriotic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's what they say. I mean, you know, but as we get a little older, we start to understand things a little different. By amen. By, you know. <laughs> amen. <laughs> amen and amen. <laughs> okay. I'm just gonna remain silent. I'm not gonna be disrespectful. I'm just gonna remain silent. Exactly, and you you deserve that right. You can remain silent as long as you mumble in that Pledge of Allegiance. You you know what? (laughs) You know what? See, I'm going to talk to you offline. (laughs) Corner. Um, In the corner. Well, I'm going to bring in our first guest, um, and he will be speaking on breaking generational curses. Um, Our first guest is Cordell L. Garrett Sr. He was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and he's a visionary. He desires to reach the unchurched souls that are in need of encouragement. He has a yeah. deep-set compassion for God's people, especially those struggling with the cares and burdens of everyday life. Being a bivocational minister, Elder Garrett is a marketing director for World Financial Group, helping families learn how to get out of debt and teaching them how to have a better financial future. He's also an adjunct professor at Tywater College of Theology, and he's a human resource assistant for the Department of the Navy. So, can you all please help me welcome to the show Elder Cordell Garrett. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Good evening. Thanks for coming can, on. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. We can hear you. Oh, okay. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem. It's been inter- interesting topics. I've been listening to you. I want to add one thing before we talk about the subject. Prayer was never taken out of school. The issue with prayer is that the schools cannot institute it. If a group of students or whoever want to get together and pray, they can't do that, and the schools cannot stop them. It's their constitutional right to do that. What was taken out was the schools cannot say, hey, you, little Johnny and little Billy, come over here and let's pray. The teachers can't do that, but they can't stop anybody from praying. So I don't know who said it, but I, I agree with you. It should start at home. So if they want to go to school and find a corner or pray before a test or whatever, nobody can stop them from doing it as long as they're not disturbing somebody else. Mm-hmm. Wow. And okay. that was an issue that came up with my son uh, when he was in school. And I told him, I said, the next time a teacher tells you you can't, you let me know, and I'll come up there and I'll respectfully correct them, and life goes on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, can you first start by explaining what generational curses are, and do you think such a thing really exists? Well, here's my religious rhetoric, as it was put earlier. Um, (laughs) I think generational curses are sins that are passed down through generations, or if you don't believe in that, I'm going to go with what somebody else said. I believe a lot of it is learned behaviors that are passed down. And I'm going to go with somebody else said, anytime you speak death onto your, a person, it, it's, it's in their mind. It becomes part mm-hmm. of their subconscious mind. So if you say mm-hmm. you act just like your daddy and, your, and Papa was a rolling stone, 
mm. immediately in your subconscious mind is there, and eventually it's going to fester because you don't believe that that's the norm until somebody pulls you to the side and says, hey, that's not how we do things. And one of the exactly. big things, one of the big things um, in our family, and I can talk about my own more so than somebody else's, you can go back two or three generations and every woman, either on my side or my wife's side, had a child as a teenager before they graduated from high school. Every last one of them. So my prayer was always this, Lord, please do not let my kids have children before they get out of high school. And I guess he answered my prayer because none of them had children. And now my prayer is, Lord, don't let them have kids until they get married. Or if they do decide to have them, I'm not taking care of them, so let them be financially stable to do what they have to do. But a a lot of it, it, and if you study sociology and all that, it it, it factors in uh, the upbringing. It factors in the way they were raised, the areas they were raised in. Um, Nowadays, if you ask a young girl if she's a virgin, They'll say, what is that? What does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. our society has taken what used to be right and deemed it to be wrong and what used to be wrong and deemed it to be right. And that, mm-hmm. hence, we have what we have today. Amen to well, that. Hi, Cordell. This is Nate. How are you doing? All right. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. Now, you said that in your family you had you had um, where – you know, the wives, the women had a child prior to marriage. Is there any generational curses that you faced growing up? Uh, yeah, I faced probably the same one a lot of us on this call had. I had no daddy in the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my big thing growing up, uh, especially in that area, my mom was a single mother. She had me when she was 15. And uh, as soon as she – and put this in mind. Put this in your mind. She had me – a month after she turned 15, more specific, about three weeks later. So that means she was pregnant most of her 14 year, right? Wow. Um, My grandmother was raising five kids on her home because granddaddy was a rolling stone and he dipped. And so everything comes out, oh, he's going to be on welfare. She ain't going to be nothing. He's going to be a drug dealer, blah, 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 blah. I've yet to, I'm 43 and have yet to receive a check uh, for welfare. I'll take it now. Don't get me wrong, but I haven't received it yet. Um, none of my children have ever received welfare. Uh, none of my children have ever been in a home without a mother and a father, which is a rarity. Even if, if you ask my kids when they were going through school, it was odd and funny to a lot of their friends that their parents were still in the house. Um, now, me, I got my wife pregnant when she was 16 and I was 19. We got married when she was 17 and I was 20, and everybody said it'll never work. I'm going to have her on welfare. We're going to have a whole bunch of babies, blah, 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 blah. She's never been on welfare. The house payment's always been paid. The lights have never been turned off. Refused to be like my father. And I, I hope he's not listening because it's nothing personal, but I'm speaking my facts or my reality. Um, and I just, I said, I'm not going to do it. My, I said, my children will never call another man daddy other than me. Mm-hmm. And exactly. and I, I stuck to that. So my thing was, I said, I'm going to break it here. I already messed up with a bad decision. I said, but I'm going to flip that decision. And, and I did what I thought was right. And a lot of people told me I was crazy. I said, that's fine. I'm just going to be crazy doing the right thing. And, and I stuck to that. My wife and I have been married 23 years now. Um, most of my friends have been 
married at least twice, someone three times. And so when, when you talk about that curse, or as we say, the sins of our fathers, that's exactly what it is. I know we don't have time, but it, uh, we, could, we could take this all the way back to when we came over here as slaves and what was put in us was the, the separation of the family. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when, you, when you breed somebody as cattle, you know, Willie Lynch said it best. He said, you make them not trust each other, make them trust you, and you will control them for 400 years. Well, yeah. using his theory, we got 170 years before we get from under that curse unless we make a conscious decision and say, hey, we're not going to live this way anymore. You know, I've seen a thing on Facebook where the guy said we need to quit moving out of the neighborhood and buy up the property and make our neighborhood safe, which is true. One problem I think we have is that men, how do I want to put this? Men in our society, and I'm I'm talking about black folks. I don't know if you got white people listening to the radio, so I hope they don't get offended. But if they do, they'll get over it. Black men (laughs) in, in, in our communities have lost their way. Now, who is the lady on on Oprah? She she gets this guy on on here who has thirty kids, but all yeah. these women. And 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 his only words is, "I'm sorry." No, you're right. You are sorry. But what about them girls that needed their daddy? What about mm-hmm. them young men that needed that man? And and that's the thing that we have to break. You know, we can talk about alcoholism. We can talk about adultery and fornication. We can talk about all of that. But I think the number one problem that we have is the breakdown of a family unit. And I firmly believe a lot of those so-called curses, as we say, will be broken if we learn what it means to be the family again. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Preach. Preach, preach, well, no, I'm well, not preaching. I'm just talking. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that you didn't have a father in your life while growing up. And today you are a father, which I can attest to. And we often Amen. hear so many men use not having a father in their lives as an excuse for being a, be- a deadbeat dad. So what type of father are you, and what impact did the absence of your father play in the type of dad you are today? Uh, I, I lighter part of that question, by my dad not being there, I just made up my mind I wasn't going to be like him. And and to his credit, um, my dad and I do have a relationship now, you know, and I, I had to tell him about five years ago he doesn't owe me anything. Um, thanks for getting me here, but I got it from here. I, as far as the type of father I was, I don't know. I, I'd have to ask you and your brother and sister uh, what y'all thought. I thought I did all right as best as I could. Uh, I, it, I, did, I was 20 years in the Navy, so a lot of my time was out to sea. And I always tell my kids I never apologize for taking care of them the way I took care of them. Hmm. Um, you, you know, I, I believed in discipline. You know, you get out of hand, I'm going to wear your tail out and, and, and liz you right. You wouldn't have been 13 swinging at your mom. That would have been the last time you swung anything. <laughs> and um, I, 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 But I believe in uh, EPR, encourage, praise, and recognize, you know. I encourage my kids, I praise them, and I recognize them, I recommend them, and I, and I build them back up. And I think they're all doing all right, you know, for themselves now. Uh, granted, they're going to have to have their trials and tribulations of life. But I, I would think that my wife and I had prepared them to be able to make conscious decisions to handle anything that that comes their way, you know, because we're not always going to be there for them. 
you know, and and I'm I think I'm a lot harder on my son than I am my girls, you know, and in in one sense I'm kind of old fashioned, you know. If it was up to me, I'd probably put my son out tomorrow and tell him to go mm. find his way, but my wife won't let me. Now if the girls <laughs> want to come back home. They they girls, yeah, y'all rooms are there, but a, a male child. I'm I'm just a firm believer. Once you hit a certain age. You got to go handle it. I left the house when I was about 18. I, I haven't looked back since. You know, um, I, I see a lot of these guys, it's, it's like they have no direction. Now, and I'm grateful in, in talking about the church. We have some brothers in our church who really took the young men who didn't have any fathers under their wing, and they showed us a lot, and I'm, and I'm eternally grateful for that now. Um, but I don't see that a lot anymore, you know. I, I was reading the bio on y'all's next topic about a lot of the the rhetoric that goes on in the church today, and I think we need to get back to the basics of uh, of people, loving people, understanding people. Now, I've been preaching for 29 years. I started when I was 14, and if y'all want to dig into it, I've made some mistakes in there. But one thing I've learned over those 29 years of dealing with people is we have to learn how to love people and meet them where they're at. And when we find them where they're at, that's when we start the healing process. It's the same thing in our families. Our, our family has a, a, a very bad spirit, as Sister Brown put it, when it comes to sexuality. You know, they're very yeah. sexual people, very sensual people, and we do have some perverts in our family. And, and and some of them have gone to jail for some things. Uh, some of them have probably gotten away with some things, or at least they think they have. And um, those are the things we have to deal with. And I think if we educate ourselves and say, hey, I don't have to be like that. You know, I don't, I didn't, my dad had two wives, you know, um, four sons by three different women. All my kids are by the same woman. And I used to be ashamed to say it because I didn't want people to get mad. But now I say, hey, I worked hard for that. I don't have any straight shit. I don't have any. Nobody's going to knock on my door and say, hey, you my daddy. Exactly. Because I know all of my kids are by my wife. And I purposely did it that way. So had I not gotten her pregnant and got some other woman pregnant first, she would have had all my kids. Mm. And And so when we talk about breaking those curses, one, we have to recognize what's the problem. All the curses is the problem. So once we recognize that problem, what do we do to solve the problem? You know, whether it be alcoholism. Some people say alcoholism is a drug. Some say it's a disease. I just say it's a bad habit that's hard to break. Some people say that cheating on your spouse is, 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 is the ultimate sin. But you look in some counselor's book, they said no, he has or she has a, a sexual misconduct or, or, sex, or sexual behavior uh, disorder. I mean, we can label whatever we want. We understand the problem, but we don't have solutions. So we have to find solutions to those problems. You know, I know a lot of young ladies, a lot of beautiful young ladies, intelligent young ladies, but when it comes to men, they thought dumb as a box of bricks. <laughs> I said, how in the world, as educated as wow. you are, you mess with this clown? Why? Because somewhere somebody told them you just got to have a man or, or you got to do it, and they don't think about it. If this dude don't have a job, he don't have a car, he don't have nothing, and you working and he's laying in bed <laughs> and you going to work, that's a problem. Freak. But you know what happened? They seen their aunt do it. They seen hmm. their mama do it. They seen hmm. their cousins do it. 
and they said, well, I'm going to be different than them. And they fall right into that same uh, uh, same mode. They fall right into that same bad habit. You know, there's a saying exactly. that it takes 21 days to create a habit, and it takes 21 days to break a habit. So we had to get in that mindset to create a habit of excellence, or as I say, a culture of excellence. And all a culture yes. of excellence is, if it doesn't work, alleviate it. Get rid of it and try something different. What's not working? The broken home is not working. So we need to get rid of that concept and say, hey, put the family back together. Now I'm a traditionalist, and I hope nobody's offended. I believe in a husband and a wife and whatever. But if you believe in two men and two women, God bless you. But whatever we do, it, it has to work. And so things that we got going on is not working. Exactly. Well, Coda, actually, that brings me to my next question. One of our favorite uh-huh. topics here on the show is religion and its impact. And, you know, to to not repeat the cycle again, do you believe that religion helps with breaking generational curses? And if so, why or how? Let's define religion real quick, all right? Mm-hmm. Let's define let's, two definitions. One. The church is the manifestation of the people, all right? The building or the organizations we go to are corrupted. Mm-hmm. Religion is just a system of beliefs that we use to follow. That's our, our philosophy in life. So with that said, do I believe that religion can absolutely if we're following the right philosophies? Mm-hmm. Because the system of beliefs, you can have snake charms. You know, you see them cats on TV playing with snakes and carrying off. That's a religion. You know, atheists are religious people. I don't exactly. have enough faith to be an atheist, to be honest with you. Um, hmm. So do I believe? Absolutely. You know, the Bible say uh, good religion is this. You you take care of the widow. You take care of the sick. You, you take care of those who are lost. And then you have bad religion where we get self-centered, self-righteous, and mm. self-serving. And then once we get to that, that habit, we, we just destroy everything. Um, so I, I believe that if your concepts, if your philosophies are right, it, it can break those churches. I mean, I'm sorry, those um, those curses. But if your philosophy is not there, well, my daddy did it, I'm going to do it. The, the, think about this, knucklehead. Did you like what your dad was doing? Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, why are you going to repeat the same thing? Exactly. And then it could be a psychological thing, and that's why we got people to go to school to study the mind. It it, you, it and it's a taboo in our communities to go see counselors for some reason, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, but they're there for a reason, and and I'm not talking about entertainers and and uh, 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 these shows and, and all that. I'm talking about people who who sat there and did 120 hours, took the state exams. Had to do they they internships and all that, and they finally right. let them lose. You know, Kim Kardashian is not a, a, a marriage counselor. <laughs> you know, yes, uh, Steve Harvey is an entertainer. A lot of the stuff he says is entertaining, but if you took some of the stuff he said into the court of law, they'd like to take your license from you. So we have to mm-hmm. distinguish between what's fun and what's reality. Exactly. And what's happening is in in our communities, the 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 unreal seems real, and the real we dismiss. You know, I had to explain to my daughter one time: reality TV is not real. 
They're only going to put things on TV that's going to bring ratings. You know, if you followed me for 24 hours a day, you'd cancel the show the next day. You know, so I, I to answer your question, I, I believe religion has a great part. I think there was a study that came out. Yeah, I have a doctorate degree in biblical studies and a master's in evangelism and church planning. And one of the studies we did when I was in school was that about 90%, and don't hold me to this exact number, about 90% of the people who were raised in some sort of religious activity are less likely to get in trouble with the law than those who don't. And, and the reason behind it is because in most religious establishments, you have a certain discipline, right? If, if, okay. if, if by age 13, I think Muslim kids have to know the Quran, Jewish kids have to know the Torah, but the problem with Christianity, they don't know five scriptures, but they know the, the words of every song on the Jay-Z album. So okay. Christianity okay. has been so watered down that it's almost irrelevant nowadays. Exactly. You know, um, and, and that's the problem because we, we have gone from being a faith-based people to fantasy, and, and it's killing us, and, and, and we see the results of it. Exactly. And I don't want to jump in this other guy's topic, so I'll stop right there. <laughs> but, Corey, I want to ask you one more question before I let you uh-huh. go. So when it comes to church and religion, so many people are so critical and there are so but there are so many struggles and issues regarding spirituality and Christianity. What can you share with us to push past those hurt and those struggles, even in our own flesh, to have that type of spiritual experience and connection that we need? What one scripture and and and, and if y'all I think most of y'all have, have church goers have been to church. Every man has to work out his own soul salvation mm. with fear and trembling. And and I'm a, I preface that with my answer because I say this. I can go to a place and preach. And when I preach, right, I preach with the attitude that you have been studying your Bible so you know what I'm talking about. Mm. If you have not been studying your Bible, and you cannot follow along with my sermon, you need to go to Sunday school Bible study. Mm-hmm. And the problem is simply this. People do not get an understanding of their relationship with God for themselves. They rely too much on a fallible man to explain to them about an unfallible God. Mm-hmm. So mm. if, if you, you can ask my daughter or any of my children, and as heathenistic as they are at times, they know the truth as it had been taught. So you're not going to run rush out on my kids when it comes to their faith in God. Now, But the thing is, that's their relationship. And the problem that we have in our churches is we just don't study the word of God for ourselves. Amen. So the man can come and tell you anything. He can tell you to give me $68 million to buy a new jet. You say, hey, man, hallelujah, Jesus, that, that's from God. That's not from God. Mm-hmm. So we have to learn how to develop our relationships with the Lord on our own. Because I can't tell you whether you're saved or not. That's between you and God. Because I'm a firm believer. Every man going to have to stand for his own uh, actions. He has to be accountable for himself or herself. So, and, and, and two, I look at Christianity from a historical standpoint. So I'm I'm not a very touchy, silly, emotional, charismatic type of person. Mm-hmm. I, I I studied the history of Christianity. I, I said there has to be a lot more to this 
and somebody shouting in front of the, the church and rolling on the floor and speaking in tongues all the time. But when they leave <laughs> the church, they still broke down and depressed. You know, and and so the the we used to say that the church is, is, is when you come to church on Sunday, there has to be something that's been said or done that's going to kind of rejuvenate you to keep you for, for the rest of the week, you know. Uh, and, and, and one problem we have, too, is a lot of the preachers, they're not trained in how to deal with certain issues. When, when I was a pastor, I had enough sense to know that, if somebody came to me with an issue that I couldn't handle, I was going to refer them to somebody else because I, I, I love them enough to say, hey, I can't handle this. I'm going to send you to so-and-so. And, 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 and I think the problem we're having is a lot of people are going to the church, but they're still broken because a lot of the preachers have, have lost sight on why they're there, you know, I didn't make a lot of money passing the church. Come think, I didn't make no money. Everything they gave me, I was already giving to somebody who needed something. I don't have a Mercedes. I don't have a jet. I, I drive a normal car like everybody else. My house is not a mansion. And, and, and even if they gave me that, I probably wouldn't take it because I would never want to do anything that would make it look like that I was stealing or taking from the church. I wanted to always give, and I wanted people to look at the church or the organization itself as a safe haven and a place where they can be rejuvenated, revived, delivered, and set free. And if you're not getting that and all you're getting is a feel-good, ooey, ooey, you're in the wrong place. Exactly. And we need to break those curses in the church. If you really want to talk about it, we need to break them curses in the, the, the curse of ignorance. Because a lot of preachers still want folks ignorant and unlearned so they can manipulate them. That's why you got these girls getting pregnant in the church still, because Uh-oh. nobody's telling them, hey, you don't have to do that. You don't have to give yourself away to be loved. Wow. You don't have to show everything you have to be recognized by a man. My wife's grandma said it best. Y'all don't leave nothing for the imagination. Well, I hope that helped with your question. Yeah. <laughs> My bishop said, what's your silence to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, Elder Garrett, we do thank you for coming on the show today. And we just want to know, how can listeners get in contact with you for, you know, more support or if they had any questions about any of the topics that you talked about? Uh, tell them to email you and you'll get it to me. <laughs> Y'all email Liz Whatever her email is And she, she's my secretary She'll make sure I get whatever questions you have You know I do have a lot of jobs that I'll add Amen that you, well, you, you your father and your mama's child That's good That means you'll never be hungry Amen. And you'll never depend on a man to take care of you Oh, oh right. Lord Oh, okay, that well, we want to thank you for coming on, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again. Yes. Y'all have a great night. I appreciate the opportunity and look forward to talking to you again. God bless you. You as well. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. Bye-bye. Oh, Lord. Yes. Yes. Okay. We'll get it together. Woo. I love it. I love it. I absolutely yes. love it. Real truth. I could talk to him all day. 
Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Whew. All right. So what's coming what up next, next guest? Well, um, we have our last guest of the evening um, by the name of Reverend E. Taylor Doctor. Um, he accepted his call to preaching ministry at the age of 17, and he was licensed in 2008 and ordained in 2011. He has been published several times by the journal Unbound of the Presbyterian Church USA with articles entitled The Church, Missional or Missing, Selma, Lord Selma, and Demythologizing HIV-AIDS as a Gay Man's Disease. He has been recognized as one of the 100 to watch emerging black LGBTQ leaders by the National Black Justice Coalition and serves as the digital ambassador co-chair for the organizational for 2014. In February 2015, he, has, he was selected to attend the Emerging LGBT Leaders Day at the White House and continues to use his voice to be an advocate for every marginalizing community. Please help me welcome to the show Reverend E. Taylor, Doctor. Good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening. Good evening. Thank you all for having me on this evening. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to jump in, and I'm going to start by... I'm going to start by asking you, um, how did the church hurt experience change you? Interesting question. Um, I have a different story than most persons who are out LGBT clergy or out LGBT or just LGBT or whatever marginalized uh, uh, acronym you use to to describe yourself. Um, My coming out was not so much of a place of hurt from the people in church as it so much was that I put my, the place I put myself in. Um, so my coming out journey, I made myself the victim um, because mm-hmm. I had accepting people all around me, but I was so expecting a negative response that I couldn't see the positive influencers and the positive support that was around me um, because all of, all of the stories that I had or the experiences that I had as models were not those that were positive. So I was automatically making the assumption that my experience was going to be the same, and it it took me looking back at it maybe four or five years after the fact to realize that because I carried a bitter feeling for a very long time. And when I looked back and realized what had occurred, it was never a place for me to be bitter because I never had people around me that made me feel less than or or made me feel like I did not belong as a part of the church. Um, And uh, it does uh, make me want to help other people to understand that it's not always about being hurt. But I do understand that hurt does occur, and it hurt is a uh, word that's very subjective. So it depends on the person, how you internalize what hurt is, or are you projecting what you think hurt is. Awesome. Okay, so I have a, a question for you. Do you do you feel as though um, we just had uh, Elder Garrett on just just recently? He just got off the line, mm-hmm. and he had made a statement that the the church institution has basically taken the doctrine and abused it to the point where we are. Abusing, we're, 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 it's usually as hurting others that come in that bring their problems to the church. They're not really getting what they they come for exactly. So, do you feel as though that the churches are using this platform as homosexuality as a bigger topic to focus on versus others? Um, I think that it. I think if we're talking generally, uh, and then we have to divide this up because we have. If you're dealing with churches that are not uh, academic or uh, churches that are not liberated in, in, in uh, theology, I think you may find that more often than not. But I think for too many years and too many centuries, the church period has used 
whatever the taboo of the the taboo of the day is as the overarching theme to hide the improprieties and the uh, tensions that other, the other tensions that reside that are deeper deeper rooted than what the taboo is. So, for instance, these days every church is about: Am I going to be an inclusive church? Am I going to be an affirming church? Um, mm-hmm. Because the, the, what the assumption is is that if I affirm people in church, then I, then people are going to think that either I am gay or I am or this is a gay church or this is the church that's just for persons who are LGBT. When the Bible calls us just to have a whosoever will church, uh, the, the first two commandments in the Old Testament are love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and on those two commandments we should hang all the law and the prophets. So from the very beginning of the biblical canon, we see. And even in the Aramaic, we see that the, the first thing God does after God creates the world and puts, our, puts the first human, human form on the earth is that God commands us to love. And it's the first thing that God does in his example to us by offering us a Savior in the New Testament through love. So I, I think a lot, of our, our, a lot of our hidden issues are, over, are, are oftentimes covered up by what seems to be taboo. So for 2000. 15 or 2016, the taboo thing is, am I going to be a gay church? Am I going to be a straight church? Why can't we just be a whosoever will church? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's an interesting concept. And why well, I went, this what, is Alicia. Mm-hmm. By the way, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Um, what I wanted to ask you, I mean, sure. from the information that we read in your bio, um, we can assume mm-hmm. what the church hurt was, but could you clarify exactly your experience with the what what was the church hurt for you? The church hurt for me was that I was if you read the part where it says I was call I accepted my call to ministry. Look at the time frame from that time until the time I was licensed and ordained. Yes. It was a gap of like four years. Uh and that was because the church I was in, my pastor told me in a meeting, she said to me, I will not license or ordain you if you are gay. Gotcha. And there was a four-year gap between me accepting my call, so me going to her and saying, Pastor, I know the Lord has called me to preach, um, and so I want to know what are the steps you would like me to take that I may be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that I may follow the protocol of our church, um, you know, that I might have the the correct, the correct credentials to do what I'm do to do what I know God is calling me to do. Her response to me was, You're, "If you are openly gay, I'm not going to ordain you. I'm not going to license you, and I'm not going to ordain you." And then on top of that, when I went to seminary in 2011, I um, I joined a new church in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to seminary at uh, ITC. Uh, joined joined a new church in Atlanta there. And when I sent for a letter of transfer of membership, in the letter of transfer of membership, she put, "Please do not ordain him." Wow. I still have the letter. I keep the letter. Um, the letter says, please do not ordain him. Uh. And so that's where my church hurt really began. And, and and that church hurt for me was worse than anything else that could have happened to me because I left my, my father was a pastor. I left my father's church because I was, a, I made the assumption in myself, personal self, that my parents didn't support my men didn't support me as who I was and, and didn't support my ministry. Um, mm-hmm. And that's only because I was I had blinders on and I wasn't even looking clearly at the situation. My parents were really t- were really pushing me to understand that it doesn't matter who you are, just be you. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to, I wanted so much for them to say, you know, I have a gay son or I have this or I have that, that mm-hmm. I couldn't see the fact that they were just telling me to just be myself. Right. And ministry will happen. 
And so I went to, left their church, went to this, went to another church, joined another church, got all immersed and involved. And what really made me feel like it was hurt was I was good enough to lead her praise and worship, to direct choirs, to exhort in ministry, uh, to, to, to facilitate sessions, but I wasn't good enough to license or ordain. So I could do all the work and other folks would get the positions. I could make you look good on paper and make you look good and help grow your ministry exponentially, but I wasn't good enough to receive uh, the, the affirmation that I'm also called to be a preacher of the gospel. So that's, what, that's my big church hurt. And you can see the lapse in time and age. And so I'm 26 years old, so 2008 and 2011 aren't that far behind where I was, you know, it was a three- or four-year gap between me accepting my call and even being licensed to, to, to ministry. Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. Reverend, I have a, a question to ask you as sure. well. Take, we're going to take it back to when you stated that your pastor said that she was not going to ordain you if you were gay. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is the, the leading reason why we have so many men in the church who are gay that are forced into these marriages um, mm. just to preach the gospel? It's interesting you say that because I, I think the biggest I, – I don't think – I think that the church does not okay, – and I, let me let me clarify this because I'm, I'm going to speak from my personal context. The black church, as I have experienced it, we will talk about everything else but sex. Now, everybody's <laughs> having sex. Yes. Everybody's having sex from teenagers wow. uh, in, the youth, in the youth department speaking on each other on the youth trips or even in the back of the church to the uh, uh, middle age, to the seniors. Everyone's having sex, but we don't want to talk about sex. So it's good enough for us to have it, but we ain't going to talk about it because if we talk about sex, then it means that we are condoning something that you should not, quote-unquote, do. Uh, when sex is a pleasurable act, it's used, the Bible says use it to be fruitful and multiply, but who, on, the, who on, this, on, this, on this radio hasn't had sex and enjoyed it? Okay. I hear quickly. Um <laughs> And so, so but all, all of that to say that I think that a part of the reason why we have pastors, pastors who are struggle with sexuality and leaders who struggle with sexuality is because our churches don't have enough conversations about sexuality, because right. sexuality and spirituality are so intertwined with each other that we don't we don't we we we'll deal with the spiritual part of you, but we're not going to deal with the sexual part of you because then if we deal with the sexual part of you, it might open us up to areas that we aren't prepared to deal with. And historically, the black church has always been the place where you could go to get help. And if we can't help you with your sexuality, then are we really able to fulfill our mission? Furthermore, are we are we bold? Are we willing to even be vulnerable enough to have the conversations about it? I think if more conversations were had from the pulpit to the pew around sexuality and around spirituality, we see a a drastic change in the way church grows and church um, shapes into what I think God has called church to be. Um, it should be a place where we can bring our whole selves, sexual and spiritual, and be and worship with other people, uh, no matter their race, their creed, their sexual orientation, their uh, whatever their identifiers are. But we ought to be able to bring our whole raw, naked selves, not literally naked, but naked in the sense that we bring all of our whatever it is that is about us. Right. And that only that that helps make us a more vulnerable and truthful, authentic community of faith for all people. Uh-huh. Mm. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Yes. Well, hi. This is Will Strayhorn. I want to really thank you for coming on the show and being so transparent with your message and your experience. Um, before I actually ask my question, I wanted to share 
Um, I know last week I was talking on the show, maybe it was the week before then, um, about uh, a situation I had had in a church, a local church, that really hurt me. And basically it's very similar to what you went through, where you went to churches and you were kind of expecting people to treat you a certain way or to discriminate against you. And, you know, you were surprised that they didn't. I was in the church and um, loving the church, loved the pastor, loved the experience. And I still cite it as being the best church I've ever been to as far as experience-wise. And she caught wind that I was um, in a a male-on-male relationship, Um, called me out in church, told me she wanted to speak to me, and took me in her office, my partner and I, and told us to our face that, if we remained together, that we were not going to be blessed. Immediately after that, she basically sat me, took, sat me down from all of my um, involvement in the church and treated me quite differently and cold. Um, we had several meetings in the church, face-to-face meetings, um, and after, like, the third meeting, I just left the church. But ever since I left that, I've been going to different churches. Sometimes I joke that I belong to probably every church in this in, in my community because I go to churches and I'm expecting to hear that from the leadership again. I go in there expecting to be treated that way, and a lot of times I never received that. But because of this one injury from this person that meant so much to me, I go in there looking for the situation, and, and that's pretty much the injury that I carry from church to church. So um, I just wanted to put that out there. But I wanted to know if you could go back in time, you know, would you be a minister leader to those people who are in those environments where you were to help them avoid the experience that you went through? Um, let me thank you for your transparency. Um, and it's, it, I'm answering the question, but I want to preface it with, it's so interesting that the church for so many years was a hospital for so many people. Yeah. But if, yeah. if, any, if, if, if a hospital is, is a quality hospital, a hospital treats whoever walks through the door. Okay. And, uh, and so now we're in a, we live in a context, we reside in a context, but we don't see that happening so much in church. Because people, your our, your story, my story has become too many, too many of the same, too much, too much the norm for so many people, uh, on varying scales. Um, and so, to me, it's a catch twenty two. Um, to answer the question you just asked, it's almost like, and I'm 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 very, y'all gotta forgive me. I'm just very upfront with it. I'm I'm going to just be real. It's a mm-hmm. catch twenty two because it's just like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Right. Uh, as if, as it relates to going back to that ministry, going back to being a ministry leader in that environment. Um, uh, it, but I, I think that if I were if I were to go back to that ministry, that context, and, and and be a minister in that environment, and, and, the, and the crazy thing is, I just moved back to Richmond, Virginia, uh, from Atlanta about two and a half months ago, and I went back to the church uh, about two weeks after I moved back. Um, and the moment I got into worship. Um, she calls me out from the pulpit and asked me to come and lead praise and worship. Oh, really? I hadn't I hadn't heard Cat Dog Sam in five years that I'd been gone. Um, wow! And then it was a, there was another shot about oh you did you finish your seminary and I and I had to jump in and correct her and say you know um, actually two degrees you know mm-hmm. kind of like. You know, don't 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 come for me unless I send <laughs> yeah, you kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, but I'm more than <laughs> okay. to do and be who I am kind of thing. Um, right. But, you know, it's really interesting that I went back there and I and, and I went back and I got home that day and I was talking to my mom. I said, "There's no way in in God's green earth that I could ever go back and be in ministry there." And I'm sick. I'm saddened because in the time that I've been gone, 
the same people who were struggling with sexuality to be accepted in that place are still there Sunday after Sunday hearing, a cantank- hearing what I call conservative cantankerous messages, meaning Correct. that I'm going to massage it enough where you think, you, where you think I'm, I'm supporting you, but then I'm going to get you where I need to get you at and try and pull you where I think I need you to go. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so I, I think it's a catch-22 in that I would love to be able to minister to those people, but I'm very clear that God has not called me back to that place to do so. Uh, and it's maybe, maybe maybe it's because I ha- I won't have the conversation with her. Um, wow. And I, that's a definite area that I probably need to work on, to have a conversation with her and really express what I'm feeling, what I've, what I've felt. Um, but it's, 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 it's rough. It's, a different, it's, it's hard um, to find a church home uh, that will heal and whole and he- will heal you and make you whole. Because to be healed and to be whole is to be accountable at the same time. So if you're healing me and, I, and I'm becoming whole or I'm healing you and you're becoming whole, the implication is that we will hold each other accountable to that healing and wholeness, that we will not allow our each. We, I, I can't let you will. If I, know that I've, if I know that our exchange is helpful to you and helpful to me, then our um, implication, our ramification, our takeaway point of departure from that is that we have to make sure that we keep each other healed and whole. That means right. if you go through, I go through. If I exactly. go, if I go through, you go through. But if we're, right. if we're, and and as we do that, we journey together through life, and we hold each other accountable to the fact that we're gonna stay whole and we're gonna stay healed, mm-hmm. no matter what happens. We're gonna figure out what we gotta do to stay whole and stay healed, and keep each other accountable to that. Because if we're in community together, then we've got to do that. Wow. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, Reverend, statistics show that fewer people are actually attending church today, especially the younger generation. And this could possibly be for multiple reasons, not just because the word is governed to the, the, the homosexuality hate epidemic, but it could be just the money issue or just not getting along with, the, 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 I guess, the congregation as a whole. But do you feel as though that this shift is dangerous? For the body of Christ I think it is dangerous Because the body of Christ um, There's a book that I've read And I kind of I referenced it In one of my more recent articles The Church Mission or Missing Robin Meyer's book The Underground Church The Subversive Way of Jesus In the first lines of that book He says The church of the 21st century Is obsolete um, Meaning that A whole generation Has written off the church Based upon The church only wanting to thrive In Traditionalism, and in the article that I wrote, I, I say that the church can be summed up in one word: survival. That wow. the church's role, it seems, in these kind of contexts, is solely to survive. Uh, and there, there are few places that you can find that are wanting to do more than survive, wanting to do more than just meet people, uh, meet people's needs, but really care and, and and engage them in ways that they are better and that they are whole and that they are. Uh, living their maximum potential. Uh, and so the shifting that we're seeing in the church, I think, is happening because people are becoming hip and educated to what is occurring around them. People are taking off the blinders. Um, and mm-hmm. so, uh, and, 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 it's, and, and I think that's a direct result of the recent years. We've had so many different churches and ministries and leaders exposed for various actions and various improprieties that people are much more hesitant and much more careful and much more investigative and much more, uh, critical of what's happening in church, and so that as a result, 
is exposing other things about church that are not so pretty. The church does not look good. We do not look good as a church. We are not. We can't. We have so much work to do. And it's interesting that you say millennials. Actually, in my personal life, I know more persons over the age of fifty who have stopped going to church in the last year and a half than mm-hmm. I do millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And so I think it's. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't just think it's millennials. I certainly do believe millennials are in that in that number in that statistic. But I think we also have to look at the other issues that people are, and people in general are are growing to places of consciousness that the church is not willing to go to, and so people mm-hmm. won't go to a church if you can't meet my con. If I, it, it's like it's like a person who's gone to seminary. I can't sit under a pastor who hadn't gone to seminary now that I've gone, because to me it says if I've taken the time to invest in myself as a minister of the gospel and go to seminary and earn a seminary degree, and my pastor hasn't. How is my pastor going to teach something or preach something on a level that I can really be fed from if they haven't exhausted the, the, with the tools that are out there for them to use? So I think, you know, I think it's not just the millennials, but I think the shifting is becoming people are becoming more open to what's happening. And then secondly, people are becoming more open to the spirit of God and realizing that the spirit of God is a spirit that is free, that is liberating that does not oppress people, that does not make people feel less than, does not uh, categorize or create class systems or create cliches and cliques, that is taking more, you know, uh, even down to the sermons. We can't preach I feel good sermons, feel good sermons and band-aids anymore. We've got to pre- meet people where they are. People are far too intelligent to give them a cliche every week that God is going to meet every need if you just trust and believe. No, what happens when uh, uh, um, I'm living below the means of, of poverty, and you telling me to just trust God and believe God, but I can't believe God if I'm raising a family on minimum wage and I can barely feed them every week. It's hard to see God. It's, don't tell me that God is good if I'm a, a, a victim of rape and, and a victim of, of harsh reality, because I don't necessarily see God as being good if I've been raped. Don't tell me that God is good all the time. Don't, don't massage my ego and give me cliches that only carry me to Sunday afternoon. I need something to get me to Thursday. Come on. And so I think, the, I think the shifting is occurring because people's consciousness are being awakened. And so I think churches, if we're going to survive and thrive in this context, then the church as a whole, our consciousness have to shift, has to shift to a place of opening up to the spirit of God. And I think that we'll begin to meet not only millennials, Mm-hmm. With other people at the point of need, so the church has to get their shift together. Well, Reverend Doctor Taylor, before you leave us tonight, there is one person <laughs> that we have to bring on that has a question for you, and I'm sure, sure he's someone that you will know very well, uh, Pastor Darren Phelps from Bethel. Oh, uh, yeah, yes, he is currently on the line, and he has a comment and a question. Good evening. Good. Good evening to all of you today. How are you all doing today? We are awesome. One of our favorite guests. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Listen, I didn't mean to talk. I was texting Nate and and Will and was telling them I was listening and I was blessed. And just want to encourage you, uh, Reverend Doctor, you are blessing the people and continue to do what you're doing and telling your story. It takes great courage uh, to stand in your truth and to walk in your truth and take action. And I text, I think, Will, and I said, you know, the church, um, for many years, this is not something new, but because of social media and as you were talking about 
so wonderfully about how we are more educated and informed about God's spirit and how God has ordained all of us to be who we are in the great Mm -hmm. diversity and uniqueness of who we are, not only embracing our sacred sexualities, but there is this place in God where we have to also feel good about ourselves and not just about our sexuality that Mm -hmm. is less to do with the sexual act. It is about Mm -hmm. how I present myself. And let me Mm -hmm. tell you this, you know, well, you know, you look good. You could be sitting in a coffee shop and someone can get an eye of you and say, oh, he looks good because you're (laughs) losing sexuality. You don't even have to do nothing, Lord Mm -hmm. have mercy, Mm -hmm. even see them. (laughs) And what happens is we get confused over the act of sex versus sexuality. There is a distinct difference. And what I tell folk all the time, if you get out of my bedroom, (laughs) amen, (laughs) and if we really had grown folks' conversation, wherever I choose to engage in the pleasure of the sexual act between grown folk to grown folk, Lord, your audience is going to call me a text because that's all right. (laughs) I can handle it. I get enough email as it is. Then we can have (laughs) a conversation. Amen. You see, then we can talk about the other stuff. Then we can deal with the rape and the incest and the other stuff mm-hmm. that we're hiding and we're burning. It is all a mask. It is all a disguise. Because if I deal with that and the hurt of that and the concern of that, then I'm going to be forced to deal with everything else. Amen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to. I must deal with everything else. Once you unleash it, you got to deal with all of that. And I don't believe we're prepared, you know, and thank you, Reverend uh, Doctor. You're right. We have done all of this great stuff to make people feel good. But sometimes we've got to do what happened to Moses. In Moses' calling, he spent 40 years in the backside of the mountain, uh, the wilderness. Amen. Mm. And God stripped him of everything he thought he knew Mm. before he could be used for the next level of his work. And I believe that's what God is calling us folk, us folk, amen, to be that vo- that voice, the eunuchs, the transgender people, the black folk, the poor folk, the, you know, the gay folk, the same gender loving folk, and then the crazy seminarians who are in their 20s, amen, <laughs> amen. and make some good trouble, amen, I believe right. it, amen. So thank you for that, and thank you for my two minutes. Amen. Don't worry, I won't collect an offering. I'm going to go sit back there here. <laughs> you give us that one for free. Thank you, Pastor. It's interesting. Yes. I wanted, I'm sorry to cut in real quick, but it's interesting you said we can talk about all the other things that happened. And I thought about when he said rape, that I don't want anyone to think that I'm only talking about the heinous sexual act. Um, for centuries and for decades, churches have raped, have raped pockets, have raped uh, egos, have raped spiritual mindsets, have raped uh, mentalities, have raped uh, personalities. I mean, so it just, it, 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 the gamut has just has been run. The smoothest talking brother on the street these days is the church. Yeah. We'll talk you so fast out of everything you got, but don't give you nothing in return. And so I think our work is plenteous. Our work is multiplicity. Our work requires that everyone come to the table um, and be willing to be vulnerable, um, be willing to take off, as Pastor Phelps just said, the mask, um, because we dress up real well. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Even if we in our casual, we dress up so well. Um, but we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't 
But what happens when we get home and, like, we do, like, Viola Davis did at the end of season one, having a ha- uh, How to Get Away with Murder, where she pulled off that wig and pulled off that makeup mm. and you saw her real self. What would right. happen if if the church saw us at night when we pulled off all of that stuff to and showed our, and exposed our real selves, you know? Um, so, yeah. Well, That's all I had. Well, That's all I wanted to we, say. Y'all go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. You've given us so much good information. How can our yeah. listeners get in contact with you for more information or for, or for support? I'm going to tell you like Liz Daddy told her. Uh, just text Liz. No, no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Um, my, uh, they can they can email me. Um, the email address is best for for them to contact me is affirmingvoice at outlook dot com. That is a f f i r i, excuse me, a f f i r m i n g v o i c e dot at outlook dot com. I can't even get myself together. Affirmingvoice okay. at outlook dot com and. Uh, they can engage me there in questions. I'm on all the social medias. Uh, let me see. Am I on all the social medias? I am on all the social medias. Um, <laughs> e. Taylor Doctor on Facebook, and then everything else I think is Rev E. Taylor Doctor. Uh, but if you find me, uh, you can you know, look me up there, um, and I'm willing to engage whomever, uh, naysayers, supporters. Uh, okay. You want to talk more about what's going on. Uh, just don't try and hit me up for no dates. I'm happy to <laughs> spoken for. So, uh, but... <laughs> Uh, At least you are. Certainly, uh, okay. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm open and willing for the engaging of conversation. Well, that's good. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you all. And we hope to have yeah. you back on again in the future. Certainly, I'm willing. Absolutely. All right, you all have a good evening. Be blessed. You, well, too. you too. You too. Bye-bye. Awesome information. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Good. Well, Alicia, um, so next week, <laughs> we have our show now coming up on the twentieth. You definitely don't want to miss that show because um, oh. each of the co-hosts, we've added a new co-host to the show. Um, it's been yeah. Daniel yeah. J. He's our new co-host. Um, and coming up on the twentieth, we're going to actually have the hosts are going to interview each other. So you're going to get the opportunity Lord. to learn all about us. Um, oh Lord! And you, there's going to be some good information. So you definitely don't want to miss that. And then on our um, the last show of the year on December 27th, um, we're going to have another year. I don't know if you tuned in last year when we had our end-of-the-year show, but it's quite a hoot, so you want to make sure that you tune oh, in um, for the rest of the year. Coming up next week, um, we have Alex Brady. She wrote um, the number one book um, on Amazon called From Chaos to Clarity, Getting Unstuck and Creating a Life that You Love. And this pretty much is in preparation for an awesome 2016. Um, Alicia and I talk all the time, and I told her that I was really burned out in 2015. I took on too much Mm -hmm. school, work, um, opening new businesses and things. It was just too much. Amen. So I'm looking forward to hearing from Alice. She promises that we're going to recognize, you know, why we're stuck, how to get unstuck, and then how to create a life that you want. So um, she promises it's going to be a lot of good information that we can take home. Uh, I want to open up the floor real quickly to any of you. Do you want to say any final words before we sign off? Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. What about you, Jay? You're our newest host. This is your official welcome. Do you have anything to say to the people before we let them go? I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just, I'm just so thankful that you all have welcomed me in, little old me in, and you know, I'm just happy to be here. And the music gets louder. 
Well, until next week, everyone, um, have a blessed week, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it.